0: Love Talk Radio.
1: afternoon blog talk listeners cyber station USA radio network Chuck Morse Chuck Morse speaks Monday through Friday one to two p.m Eastern Standard Time right here out emanating out of Boston Massachusetts in the catbird seat the higher the storm apparently as we are told by our meteorologists here that we are heading into what they're calling it, at this point the worst storm in the century I don't know if that's true um, it's been, there's been a lot of media coverage and reminiscing, if you will, uh, with regard to the great blizzard of 1978. Uh, I was around in Boston at that time. I, I could recount my stories, but I'm not going to bore the listener with that. Um, it's just, uh, but, but the weather's starting to pick up here. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be that big a storm. They now say that it's um, supposed to really, the big stuff is supposed to fall and the blizzard conditions are supposed to develop overnight and then into tomorrow. So um, we'll have to see what happens. Meanwhile, we're waiting for the arrival of my good friend, Dr. Samuel L. Blumenfeld. Sam is the author of the NEA, Trojan Horse in American Education, The Whole Language OBE Fraud, and many other excellent tomes. Um, I don't see Sam showing up here on the on the uh, mixing board right now, so I don't know if um, Sam will be with us or not. He's um, usually a pretty reliable fellow, but uh, there's been some scheduling issues lately. Uh, while we wait for Sam, I should mention a couple of program notes. Uh, starting next week, my program will be switching time, and will be live every day from 10. Till noon, or at least from ten till eleven, until I build up some steam, and then go all all whole hog both hours. And um, that is in preparation for the national syndication, which starts Friday, March first, and when this program at that time will be picked up by the IRN USA Radio Network. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. I'm kind of taking it easy this month as I prepare for that. And uh, My goal between now and then is to finish, or at least mostly finish, uh, re-editing all of my unpublished manuscripts and getting them up on the Amazon Kindle, where they'll be available for the public, and also uh, finding sponsors for the show, uh, which is uh, always a very difficult but necessary endeavor for anyone who uh, broadcasts whether they be working as a salaried employee or whether they're like me, where it's essentially their own business. And I think that with the um, the syndication, which would be involved probably, they tell me, at least a dozen, if not maybe two dozen radio stations around the United States, smaller stations in smaller markets, uh, carrying this program, and uh, mainly people who are used to listening to conservative programming, uh, that I think that what I will have is an attractive package that I can offer advertisers. So if you, the listener, are a potential advertiser, what I offer you is a spo- what I call a sponsored hour. It's going to be a two-hour-a-day program, five days a week. And by the way, the program, I'm taking over the old Marlon Maddox um, slot, Marlon Maddox, the late Marlon Maddox, was one of the founders of talk radio and what I offer in that package is that uh, you get to come along the on the air with me maybe once every other week maybe maybe more often if if it works out well as a sort of a resident expert guest in your field and we'll talk about your business we'll talk about your you can express your opinions You can pretty much talk about whatever you'd like to talk about for 10 minutes a week, live on the air. Uh, That uh, would coincide also with uh, my announcing that the hour is sponsored by you and by my giving out information about your company. Uh, So I'm looking forward to doing that. I, uh, I pride myself over having over the years, and I've been doing this for over 10 years now, helping to develop on-air personalities, including my former co-host, Dr. Patrick O'Heffernan. People who uh, would come on the air with me and um, get experience with radio and get experience with how to do radio, and they'd point out that doing radio is not as easy as it might look. When you do this every single day, five days a week for many years, and when you're essentially asked to come up with content, it's uh you know it, it may look fun and easy and just like a regular conversation but uh a lot goes into it. So I will help develop you as a radio personality besides simply giving you the opportunity to promote your your product or your service nationally and this will be on America's newest syndicated program one that will be growing in terms of breaking into new markets and I say this because uh, I know that the uh, good people over at IRN USA Radio Network have a team of radio affiliate relations people, people whose job it is to contact radio stations and get their programs uh, cleared onto those markets. The more markets they can clear, the more money they can make in advertising, and, and they and I split the ad revenue. So, They have a motivation to do that. So I'm looking forward to that. And they also have marketing people, which means that uh, there will be people who will craft press releases and whatnot to uh, raise the visibility of the show. So to me, as someone who's been toiling in these vineyards for probably the better part of at least 10 years, actually going back almost 15 years, really, this is a big, big deal. It's a, a great opportunity. It's one that it's not that it's been handed to me because I've worked hard to get there and I've been in touch with this company, but it's one that basically opens up an opportunity for me to further expand the program, to expand my reach, to reach more people, to reach a national audience, and to then work very, very hard in the coming months and years to really build what is a, what will hopefully be a national brand. Now, um, I also have recently discovered that I can put books up on the Kindle book service. Now, my I've written probably, in fact, I have written over, over seven or eight full-length manuscripts over the past several years, um, most of which are finished, some of which still need some work in that I maybe they're about 80% finished. And recently it came to my attention that I could have my books published on Kindle at no charge to me and money is an issue. <clears throat> Since I besides the fact that I don't have much, I generally make it a rule of thumb that I don't want to pay for anything. I mean I'm not gonna I don't want to do vanity work where I you know, I'm then doing like a self published where I pay somebody to publish my book. But if they can do it at no charge, I'm in. And in the case of Amazon Kindle, not only do they do it at no charge, and I'm talking about this for you, the listener, who might want to publish your book, um, but they actually give you 70% of the royalty. So if you sell a book on Amazon Kindle, and you, you can set the price, anything from $3 to $10, You make 70% and Amazon makes 30 which is a very, very good deal. It's actually a lot better in terms of sheer percentage royalty than you would get from most publishers, unless, of course, you're a really big name. And I actually would have made more money from my book on the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem had I published it through Amazon Kindle than I actually made publishing it through a major publishing house which was WorldNet Daily Books. Um, so to me, it's it's very encouraging news for authors. It's another example of where the changing business paradigm means that more people can do more at, for less, and it's, it's very democratic. I mean, average people can now publish a book at no charge and make it available to the public. In the same way, I suppose, that Blog Talk Radio, at a very minimal charge, allows people to go on the radio and have their own talk show uh, at no charge. And then, of, co- of course, blogs are there. They're free also. I do a blogger, which means that I can write blogs and have them published and distributed. Um, and you can actually make a little bit of money, as I do from my blog site, by having uh, a Google affiliate account run commercials. So these are all very good uh, means to uh Get out of uh, the word and to do so without the big guys uh you know kind of acting as a as a threshold, but of course, the key to all of this, besides getting the book up, and in this case, I am talking about the Amazon Kindle, is to then get the book accessible, get it marketed, get it in front of people, get it so that people can know about it. And read it, and that's that's actually the work. That's the hard part. And um, so far, I can I can discuss that a little bit. Um, what I've done, and a lot of this is again, it's all free. I will not pay. I'm not going to pay a publicist. I'm not going to pay a PR person. I'm going to do it myself somehow. Um, what you do is first you start with your own social network, Facebook, Twitter. LinkedIn which I love. LinkedIn is an excellent site. You build up the number of friends you have on these sites. I probably have between 2 and 3000 friends on Facebook and I'm I'm building that all the time. Although don't try to do too too quickly because Facebook will shut you down. I mean, I've been suspended a few times.
0: <laughs> uh
1: or just told to slow down. Uh LinkedIn also I have well over 2,000 friends. Twitter, I probably have about maybe 600 friends at this point. And you use these vehicles to promote the book. You have your book up on Kindle. Kindle gives you a very nice page and with a graphic, and with a picture of the book, and a description of the book. If you can arrange to get reviews, that's great. If you have friends who will review the book, the more the merrier. In the case of one of my books, I already have gotten one review. Uh, and then you can send that out through email. You can send it out to your regular email list on on Gmail if you have that, which, by the way, is also free. Um, or you can send it out to um, through your social networking. For example, um, I don't want to give away too many of the tricks of the trade here, but uh, on Facebook, you can send it out as a link. Uh, in the form of a message to just about anyone Like for example uh, One of my books which is called The Monkey Trial Evolutionary Politics in the Post-Traditional Age it deals with the topic of the theory of evolution uh, And how that theory has The effect that that theory has had On our political and social systems And on our thought uh, I get into at length how the idea of an evolving species has led to philosophies and political governing philosophies such as uh, eugenics and Nazism and communism. Uh, the 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 kind of the New Age movement I uh, tie it into, uh, you know, the globalist movement, population control, the environmental movement. Um, and and by the way, I'm not suggesting that some of these movements don't have some merit. I'm simply pointing out the influence that the theory of evolution has held on those movements, what what it means when you recognize the idea that or you consider that there's an idea of of the human being and the human race as an evolving species. So what do you do? Getting back to the marketing side of it is that I go on, let's say, my Facebook page and I put in the word Darwin. And up pops probably... Quite a few, actually, maybe about twenty five thirty thirty five forty um websites that being facebook websites that that are dedicated to Darwinism, both pro and con, and you can then go ahead and post the link because I've already copied the link from my by copying and by copying and pasting I've copied the link from the um Amazon page for the book. And then you just simply paste it onto their, their wall, or you paste it into a message. You just rest your cursor on their name, and up pops a little message box. You click it. You paste the link into the box, and you click send. And what happens is that they then get a little red note next time they look at their Facebook page, and they open it, and there it is, the monkey trial. Click on here. And they can then know about the book and maybe even, heaven forfend, buy the book. And by the way, these books are only $2.99. I think in the case of The Monkey Trial, i charged charge a little bit more because it's almost 100,000 words. It's a huge book, so I felt that it would be something I could charge more for. So I believe for that one, i charged charge $3.75. But uh, if they buy it, and I've already had people starting to buy them, you can make some real money. You know, if you're charging $3 for a book and, and you get 70%, that's 2 bucks. That means you get 2 bucks every time someone buys a book. So, if you sell if you sell um, 100 books, that's 200 bucks. If you sell a thousand, you know, do the math. You sell 1000 books, that's 2000 bucks. Sell 10,000 books, that's 20,000 bucks. And so yeah, I mean, I start out by promoting it through my social network. And, again, with with Facebook, you have to be careful not to go too far overboard because they will shut you down. But I, I post it up on people's walls. I send it out as a message to people that I think might be friendly. To people that I think will not be friendly, I might not post it on their wall because they might report you. But you can still send them a little message. And, you know, there's a certain amount of, I guess you might say, satisfaction in doing that. And um, I've been doing this by the thousands on Facebook, on Twitter. You can send it out. You have to shorten it, but you can send it out as a tweet, not only by placing it on your own Twitter page, which is something that probably gets lost. And I know less about Twitter. I'm not a big Twitter fan, but you can go to your list of people who subscribe to your page And send them out a very short little tweet directly, which will show up on their Twitter page, simply giving them a link to the book. New book. Here it is. Boom. Off it goes. Now, as far as LinkedIn is concerned, LinkedIn is a service that I've been using much more for professional purposes. I've, I've been using that to make business contacts. But I also have people on there that I know personally. I have people on there, and when I say people, I mean my list of friends, some of whom actually do not like me very much, but they just link with me, mainly to find out what I'm doing. And what I do is I go through my list of contacts, and I'm able to send them out each a little note with a link to the book, and uh, you, you, you copy it. It's not too difficult. It's a little bit of a grunt grunt job, but uh, you know you link, you click on this send box, paste it into the box, and send. And thus you have, in this case, two thousand people, one at a time, getting my uh, link to the book. And there are ways to do that in a streamlined manner too. I mean, there's a <clears throat> LinkedIn has a facility where you can go to a, an inbox and send it out to about you know thirty, forty, fifty people at a batch. And you can click on a little box at the bottom which says that uh, the recipient doesn't necessarily have to see all the other people that are getting it. So uh, I recommend you do that so they don't get this big, gigantic email with all these other names on it. And so thus I'm able to send out thousands of these. And also with the clubs, and I'm a big fan of the LinkedIn clubs because they're easy to join. Once you join them, you can post stuff on their wall. And you can also peruse their membership. And in some cases, they have many thousands of members. And all of this is free, by the way. You post up a, uh, a link to the book on the wall of the club, and you are allowed to join, I think, up to 40 clubs. I'm pretty well maxed out on that. Maybe 30. And by the way, if you want to join more than that, you can delete some of them and, and then put in new ones. Um so you put up a link to the book on the on the on the wall of the club and then you click on the membership and you can send out a link to individual members and depending upon who you think they are and whether or not you think they'd be interested you could take a look at the names at their, the locations at the professions you know and then you can you get enough information there to make a judgment in terms of whether or not you think they would be right for the um for the book Thus, and again, these are all, you know, it's laborious, but I find it satisfying because I can then look at people's names and just familiarize myself with different people, and sometimes I'll see someone who I might want to reach for other reasons. You know, I might see someone who's in the radio business, who uh, maybe I want to let them know about my show, perhaps for syndication purposes. Or I see someone who's written a book, and maybe I might want to interview them on my show. In fact, just the other day, in fact, just yesterday, um, I interviewed uh, John Shepherd, who is the author of a book about world government or parliamentary uh, government through the UN. He actually called in from Peking, from Beijing, China, to do the hour with me. It was a very interesting conversation. I contacted him through LinkedIn, so LinkedIn is a is a tremendous resource, and you can reach many, many thousands of people. Um, I will tell you that recently I've been I've got into the habit since I am spending a good deal of time uh, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, sending out links to my new books, um, in order to help me pass the time better, I've gone to the YouTube and I've looked up albums and and music uh, of various bands that I used to listen to maybe 20, 30 years ago. And I've discovered all this new music that I never really got back then. So I've been listening to, in the background, entire album sides. I mean, there's a Beatles album, for example, up there that has uncut tracks of the Beatles just rehearsing, and I listened to that. It was fascinating. Jethro Tull was a band that I liked a lot back in the 70s, but I only could afford one album, Aqualung. Um, Now you have all of their albums uh, posted up on YouTube. Again, it's free, and you can click on and hear an entire album in order, and it's fantastic. So I'm listening to the music, and I my tastes of music are quite eclectic. I've I've also listened to full symphonies, and I've listened to Coltrane, and I've listened to some jazz, and Louis Armstrong is one of my favorite musicians. I like Sinatra, you know. I like all kinds of things. The show music I like, and I could just listen to entire album sides, uh, things that I hadn't heard since I was very young, a child. Uh, almost everything is there on YouTube. So, for music, I love the YouTube. I mean, I know that my daughter, and also you get to see visuals. Sometimes they'll show like a a video. Sometimes not. So, uh, and I, and you know, all of this while I'm sending out my tens of hundreds of thousands of uh, emails. So, you know, it's uh, it's interesting work. Uh, you're promoting and you're listening. My daughter happens to like the. Uh, The iTunes. Uh, I don't have an Apple, so I don't know much about that, but uh, I like the uh, YouTube because, again, it's all free while I promote the book. So here we have it. I've got my book through Kindle online, and the two that I now have published recently are called The Monkey Trial, Evolutionary Politics in the Post-Traditional Age, and The Counterfabians, Republicans in the Age of Obama. And I am sending them out to any group or any person that I think might have any remote interest in them, whether it you know be, I mean, in the case of the uh, the the counter Fabians, I'm sending it out to people who are Republicans, conservatives, anyone connected to Mitt Romney, anybody connected to the last election. They get a link to this book, and uh, with the hope that they buy it. So there you have it. i sent out tens of thousands of these emails through my social networking. I've sent out emails with a press release to my regular email list, which is huge. I, I mean, I collect emails like some people collect stamps and coins. And I've got an email list that's probably about 40,000 emails. Probably more than, almost half of them are not valid any longer, but I still send out whole batches of these emails by cutting and pasting pages of the list into the BCC of the Gmail. And then I put together a little press release for each book with a a graphic picture of the book, um, a link to how to get to the uh, Amazon page, and also a synopsis of the book and a little biographical information about myself. And I'm sending that out to as many of those as I can. And that's limited because Gmail will not let you send out more than certain thousand emails a day. So and, and I don't like to max it out because I want to keep um uh, keep my ability to send out other things. So I send out what I can of that in batches. And I won't I'm not going to deny the fact that um I happen to have two Gmail accounts, one of which I just used to send stuff out. So I am able to send out quite a few of those. And then once that's all said and done, then I'm able to take the next step, which is to try to get myself booked on radio shows, try to get myself written reviews. Those things are a little bit more difficult, a little bit more tricky. But um, what I have lists of people who do that, and um, the, a lot of that information is available on uh, LinkedIn and Facebook. People, talk show hosts, will have their own pages. Their producers have pages and what I do is I send them a link also to the book but instead of just sending out the straight link in those cases I will personalize it I will send them out a little quick note hi how are you this is Chuck Morse fellow talk show host um would you would you consider having me on obviously I'd like to get interviews right now I'm the author of this new book I promise you an interesting conversation Here's how to reach me. Thank you very much. Goodbye. And I'm sending that out with maybe a little bit of a personalizing aspect to each of those links that I send out, depending upon what I know about the person on the other end. And my hope is, obviously, that I'll get booked on shows. The more shows I can get booked on and the more interviews I'm able to get, the more opportunity I will have to talk about my book and hopefully sell copies of the book course, an, an ancillary aspect to that is that in this day and age, if you do an interview on someone's show, more likely than not, they're going to have a podcast of that interview. And they can send you that or you can take that off of their website, and then you start sending that around. Chuck has appeared on so-and-so's show. Here's a podcast of the interview. And so by this means, you're able to build up um, more um, – you know, more interest in it, anyway, we're gonna take a brief break. It doesn't look like Sam is coming on today. I understand it's a very, very weird weather day here in New England, and Sam is a Boston fellow, so stay tuned. We shall be right back again. Chuck Morse at Chuck Morse speaks. by the way, you're welcome to join the conversation 347-327-9849 is the number three four seven. 3279849 please stay tuned Talk Radio, Chuck Morse, I think that Cyber Station is uh, having some technical issues today as well, Cyber Station being in Quincy. So here we are in the middle of the storm. I don't blame them. It's hard to expect anybody to go in today, especially when the governor of Massachusetts has declared a state of emergency and has said that all cars should be off the road by 4 o'clock. So that's where we are. You know, I don't blame them. They shouldn't be going in. You're welcome to join the conversation, of course, 347-327-9849, 347-327-9849. I spent the first portion of this hour discussing and promoting my books, my books, my books. Why not? I'm an author. What do you expect? And, of course, I have a new one coming out, and I'm hoping to have it up any day now as I continue to re-edit and just tweak the text. Uh, This is another one of my older books. I'm really proud of this one. Uh, This one is called On the Jewish Question, Antisemitism, Karl Marx, Antisemitism, and the War in the West. And this is about a little-known tract that Karl Marx authored in 1940, 1846, around that time, called On the Jewish Question, which uh, contains within it some of the most vicious anti-Semitic Uh, Material I've ever seen It's really actually quite shocking Um, But what my analysis of it And it was very influential In left-wing circles Right up to maybe World War II When it became unfashionable To be so openly anti-Semitic But I would argue And I think that if you read the text You would agree That much of the left Has internalized the uh, the ideas contained there, why Karl Marx hated the Jews so much, and in fact have broadened this to include a description of all peoples who are, or- are freedom-oriented peoples and nations. This is why they hate America so much. This is why they hate religious Christians so much. This is why they hate free enterprise so much. People who are owners of business, people who are private owners of capital. And um, I also connect this book directly to the rise not only of communism, but the rise of Nazism. And I point out and I I link its influence to the Nazi attitude toward Jews and directly to the Holocaust. So there are some very controversial things in this book. Uh, Some of my research in this uh, is, uh, you know, it gets into some areas that are, unfashionable, let's just put it that way, distasteful. But I am not going to in any way stint from a vigorous analysis of the Holocaust because I take the idea very seriously, the slogan that is promulgated in the aftermath of the Holocaust, and that is, quote, never again, unquote. I don't think that that should be just an empty slogan. That should be and is, for me, a statement that requires action, that requires a means to understand the nature of what happened so that it will be never again. Anyways, so that's that's where that is. I think we'll take a brief break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Chuck Moore Speaks. Please stay tuned. happening in the news this afternoon, eh? Let's see what's going on in the the rest of the country. Well, first, I think it would be appropriate for me to read Sam Blumenfeld's article, which is posted up on on my blog site today, that being Chuck Morse Speaks. Uh, Sam couldn't make it in today. How to Take Back the Public Schools by Sam Blumenfeld. As you all know, the public schools are controlled by the radical left. How far left? The Association of Teachers Ed Teacher Educators has invited unrepentant terrorist Bill Ayers to be a keynote speaker at their annual meeting this month. These are the people who educate our teachers. If we conservatives want to take back the schools, we must go in the offensive. We cannot do it from the top down. We must start at the bottom, and this can be done by encouraging young conservatives to run for school boards as a start of their political careers. Then we must create an association of conservative school board members. The left took control of our schools because they were organized and had a well-thought-out plan. We must do the same. Some years ago, when I was on a speaking tour in Montana, I met a conservative individual who had just been elected to the local school board but he had no idea what to do as a board member. Had there been an association of conservative school board members with an agenda, he would have known what to do. We can change that by electing conservative school board members and having an organization with a well, well-planned well conservative agenda that parents will want to see implemented. First term item on the agenda should be to change the way reading is taught in our schools. The present methods create functional illiteracy among a third of the students. We must make sure that every child in the district is taught to read with intensive phonics. Parents will back this. Parents will back us on this, and they certainly should. We all want the children to be able to read at a high level of literacy. The radical left is using the schools to turn American children into liberal Democrats. One-third of the students become the low-knowledge functional illiterates that the Democrat community organizers get to the polls. We must bring this dumbing-down process to a halt. The conservative educational agenda can revive a kind of education that produces patriotic young Americans with knowledge of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. We can also get religious morality back in the schools by having the students read the works of our founding fathers and the prayers uttered by past presidents in their inaugural addresses. I don't mind saying that that was my idea that I gave Sam, and I'm glad he's using it. And much more can be done to improve every aspect of the public school curriculum. My point is that none of this can be done without organization and planning. I hope that there are enough young conservatives willing to run for school boards and willing to work with others in a concerted effort to fight the radical left who are molding the minds of American children. It can be done if we, will, if we will it to be done We cannot take back the schools from the top down But we can begin working at the early level School board to educate elections Local taxpayers finance these schools And still have the right to elect school committee members And that's where conservatives can begin to win And destroy the evil monopoly The radical left has had over our educational system. Here, here, Sam, way to go. Excellent article. Uh, I urge people to read it. It's available exclusively on my blog site, which is Chuck Moore Speaks. Uh, check it out. It gives a good strategy for what to do with our shrinking. <laughs> mental capacity, I don't know, I guess you might say. And already I'm getting a lot of visits by the way to that article so check that out. And uh feel free to uh read that on the site, download it. What's happening on the Drudge Report. I always like to I always look to the Drudge Report. I don't think a day goes by that I don't look at the Drudge Report, you know? Like I used to read the Boston Globe every day before the internet, <laughs> even though I despised it, I used to love it at the same time. Well, besides the big story of the day, which is the blizzard, and it does look like it's coming. I don't know if this is all hype. I'm just gonna take a quick peek out the window. Yeah, it does. Right now, it just look here in Boston. It's it's just an average light snowfall, but uh, it looks like it's gonna pick up. We have Obama's approval ratings collapse, 46%. He'll focus on job creation. Oh, that's a good one. I think his idea of job creation is uh, is spending more money and, and creating bogus jobs, in my opinion. Um, the um, here we go. This is a story that interests me. This is out of the National Review. Um, it says voter fraud. That never happens, keeps coming back Critics of voter ID And other laws cracking down on voter fraud Claim they're unnecessary Because fraud is non-existent For instance, Brennan Center Attorneys, Michael Waldman And by the way, the Brennan Center is one of these Turf front groups It's a turf group for George Soros Michael Waldman And Justin Levitt claimed last year A person classing two votes risk jail time And a fine for minimal gain Proven voter fraud statistically happens about as often as death by lightning strike. Ha! Huh. Well, lightning is suddenly all over Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> the Hamilton County Board of Elections is investigating 19 possible cases of alleged voter fraud that occurred when Ohio was a focal point in the 2012 presidential election. A total of 19 voters and nine witnesses are part of the probe. Democrat Maloise Richardson has been an official poll worker for the last quarter of a century, and registered thousands of people to vote last year. She candidly admitted to Cincinnati's Channel 9 this week that she voted twice in the last election. I wonder if there's going to be charges brought. This is how Channel 9's website summarized the case. "Quote: According to county documents, Richardson's absolute ballot, absentee ballot." was accepted on November 1, 2012, along with his signature. On November 11, she told an official she also voted for at a, at a precinct because she was afraid her absentee ballot would not be counted in time. There's absolutely no intent on my part to commit voter fraud, said Richardson. The board's documents also state that Richardson was allegedly disruptive and had things from other poll and hid things from other poll workers on Election Day, after another female worker reported she was intimidated by Richardson. During the investigation, it was also discovered that her granddaughter, India Richardson, who was a first-time voter in the 2012 election, cast two ballots in November. Richardson insists she had done nothing wrong and promises to contest the charges. I'll fight it for Mr. Obama, and for Mr. Obama's right to sit as president of the United States, oh my God! Well, first of all, I don't think anybody questions his right to sit as president of the United States.
0: <laughs>
1: he, he can run for election just like everyone else, and if he wins, he sits as president. What does that have to do with whether or not she committed voter fraud? So she's saying that he, her act of voter fraud, is a is somehow a, a, um, a an amplification of that right. It's a pretty strange way to look at, uh, at the nature of rights, I'd say. But, of course, as you know, there is no voter fraud. Pay no attention to the lightning coming out of Ohio. I think I'm going to play a clip of this. Let me just get my clip queued up here.
2: A lot woman accused of voting twice in last November's election, tonight strongly denies committing voter fraud.
1: The I-Team first reported this story yesterday and 9 On Your Side reporter Tom McKee is live now with her reaction. It's a story you'll see only on 9. Tom?
2: Well, Carol, Democrat Meloise Richardson has worked at Hamilton County polling places since 1988. She's also registered thousands of people to vote, most of them for President Obama. But this report suggests she may have gone too far and she's going to have to appear before the Hamilton County Board of Elections to explain her actions. She wasn't aware of that until I told her today, and she bows to fight.
0: There's absolutely no intent on my part to commit any voter fraud. That's what a surprised Meloise Richardson told me Wednesday
2: outside her Madisonville home. However, those words were quickly followed by these. Yes, I voted twice. Richardson said she mailed in an absentee ballot, but feared
0: it would arrive too late to be counted. I, after registering thousands of people, certainly wanted my vote to count, so I voted. I voted at the polls.
2: Then there's the finding that Richardson's granddaughter, India, a first-time voter, cast two
0: ballots and that Richardson sent in one of them. I absolutely voted an absentee ballot for her. I did let her know that I was getting an absentee ballot for her and sending it in. I had to get her Social Security number for that. But I assumed she forgot or, or was just excited, and she went to the polls herself.
2: Another claim is absentee ballots for Montez Richardson, Joseph Jones, and Marcus Barron. All came from Richardson's Wetzel Avenue address, were received by the board at the same time as Richardson's, and the handwriting on all four of them was similar.
0: Marcus Barron lives here. Joseph Jones is my brother. He's here from time to time. I am Montez's power of attorney. I vote, voted for her in her absence. So were these all legal votes in your mind? Absolutely legal votes. Absolutely.
2: This case of Meloise Richardson is
0: far from over. Will you fight this? Absolutely. Absolutely, I'll fight it. For Mr. Obama and for Mr. Obama's right to sit as President of the United States. Now, the Board of Elections is looking at 18, 19 potential cases of
2: voter fraud and has sent out subpoenas to 28 different people. This is a list of some of those. Two hearings have been scheduled, one on February 15th, the other February 22nd. Meloise Richardson's Richardson case will be heard on the 22nd. Tom McKean, on your side, live downtown. Thanks, Tom. Nine your-
1: so there you have it voter fraud in Cincinnati. That's a surprise. Um, I think that it, again, I mean, I've written about this. I did a whole chapter on this topic in my book, The Count of Fabians. Available on Amazon Kindle, what the heck? Two dollars and ninety nine cents. Where I took a I take a cursory look at the election results of twenty twelve, especially in Ohio and in Philadelphia, and what you see is a pattern that is very suspicious. You see counties and precincts with ninety nine point five percent of the votes were cast for Barack Obama. Even Stalin didn't get that high a vote. You know, even Hugo Chavez, who uh, Joe Kennedy talks keeps talking about it, is so wonderful, he doesn't get that high a vote. I just don't believe, you know, it just looks, it doesn't smell right. Um, you know, there's, a, for example, there were precincts in Detroit where Barack Obama got 99 percent percent of the vote and other democrats on the ballot got low percent you know they won but they got maybe 50 or 60 percent 70 percent it just doesn't look right and i i I understand that uh, obama won those precincts and i and by the way i am not questioning the fact that obama won the election that's beside the point i'm simply pointing out that uh it looks to me like there was an operation and it looks somewhat coordinated that was to get out the vote quote unquote as it were. Sam Blumenfeld talks about the um uh, the you know the uninformed voter, the misinformed voter. Uh the, the you know, we have to remember that Barack Obama started his career as a as a as a community organizer for Acorn and um uh, they were using people who are on welfare, people who have an interest in maintaining that welfare. And I don't blame them. I blame the system. And coordinating them and getting them out to vote. And, of course, they vote for the party that they think is going to continue their welfare benefits, the Democratic Party. Now, that's okay. That's getting out your vote. But uh, even though I find it distasteful because they are – receiving public assistance after all. But nevertheless, they have a right to do it. I don't dispute that right. But when you have a situation where you, know, you have people voting twice and this woman admitting this, um, and very very righteous about it. Oh yes, well Barack Obama has a right to sit as president. No kidding, I'm mean, no one's saying he doesn't it's his I mean he's he's been certified as a candidate, and he has a right to sit. Why does that mean? I mean, if I said that George Bush has a right to sit as president, does that mean I can go out and vote for him five times? I mean, it's absurd. I would argue that this is a systemic problem. I make this case in my book. I put in suggestions in terms of how to overcome it, very concrete suggestions, suggestions that come from my own experience as a candidate myself. I talk about how to get votes out how to work toward developing honest voter roles um and and I hope that people read that you know you could order the book Counterfabians, Republicans in the Age of Obama uh from the uh from the website you know from the Kindle site in fact I think I might even do a piece on, on this uh, topic coming out of Cincinnati just to amplify the fact that uh, this book this book covers it um and I urge people to, to start coordinating a means to, to get at this problem. Uh, it is a big one. You know, this isn't something that, uh, that, that, that is minor. I mean, the, the, the very act of voting is the very essence of, of our democracy, is the very essence of who we are as a people, our ability to have an honest election, where there is the minimal amount of fraud you know, so that we can really have a, a real election where we know exactly who the, the people want to put into office. Now, I know that the Democrats are crying about congressional redistricting as a way to help Republicans. Fine, that's how it's done in 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 all states. I mean, that's uh, Massachusetts has done this to help Democrats for years. You know, it seems that whatever, whatever power party is in, in control in the state, they have the ability to redistrict. And the redistricting goes on, I think, every couple of terms. And they're going to try to do it in a way that favors their people. But that's not fraud. That's the system. There's nothing illegal about that. What's fraudulent is when you have people voting twice, you know, sending in an absentee ballot and then voting at the polls sending in an absentee ballot as a student in the state where they, you know, sending one home and then voting in the state which they're living in because they're attending college in that state and then complaining when when one state is concerned about this that they're against students. You know, it's a problem when you have for example in Florida uh tens of thousands of people on the voter rolls who have either passed away or who have moved out of state, or who are no longer voting for whatever reason. And then when the governor tries to go through a reasonable process of updating the the voter rolls to make sure that uh, everyone on that roll is a registered voter who is living in the state, he's he's attacked by people who don't want to do that. Why? Because I would argue it brings up some perhaps suggestions of fraud, And how does that fraud take place? It takes place, according to Chris Matthews, of all people, who has talked about how this is done in Philadelphia when he was growing up there, uh, where you have a corrupt poll watcher or corrupt clerk or corrupt voter worker who has control over the list of registered voters in in a precinct and by the end of the day, when it becomes obvious that some people are not going to be coming in to vote because they're either dead or because they no longer live in the state, but their name is on the list, then that corrupt poll worker will vote for them, just like this woman in Cincinnati was doing. She voted for her uh, her niece because you know she said, oh, she might not have time to vote, she says. And so that's, there are a lot of ways that voter fraud is done. It's one of those topics that uh, that I think that Republicans especially ought to get going on. They ought to insist on voter ID laws in every single state. It's not unreasonable to ask people to identify themselves at the polls and have their names checked off so we know who they are. I mean, in Mexico, they have a very strong law where you actually have to give a fingerprint before you vote. I don't think we need to go that far. But there has to be a means by which we can provide free ID, a free photo ID to people, make it as easy as possible, uh, and get people registered properly, so that we can have a real election. That's what it's about. What else is happening in the news? We have a few more minutes here. The F.D.A. guard opens fire on 15-year-old boy. Oh boy, what's this about? A guard shoots a boy, 15 years old, in Seattle, FDA office in Brothal. It says here, a security guard opened fire on a 15-year-old boy at a Food and Drug Administration facility in Brothal, Bothal, early Friday, according to police. Bothell Police Captain Denise Longford said it was not immediately clear why the guard fired at the boy about 7 p.m. in the parking lot, of the FDA's Pacific Regional Laboratory, Northwest. The teenager got into a car after the shooting and crashed into another vehicle about a mile away, police said. Contrary to initial information from police, it was not clear if the boy was actually wounded in the shooting. Lanford said the boy was taken to a hospital and was expected to recover. People who were in the area at the time of the shooting said they'd heard multiple gunshots. The tracks could could been seen, leading from the street in front of the building and across the grassy median. Longford said the guard who fired at the boy is employed by the company contracted by the FDA to provide security. I have no idea what this is about. It doesn't sound like it's particularly political. Um, Who knows? Anyway, we're reaching toward the end of the program, so I just want to urge people who are living in in the in the eye of the storm or in the path of the storm, to um, at least if you're in Massachusetts, to get off the roads by four o'clock. It's now almost two o'clock, so you got two more hours to go out and do any last-minute shopping you might want to do. Maybe get get some provisions, you know, and hunker down and get ready for a nice long evening. Um, I hope that we don't have blackouts. Um, it's not a bad idea to stock up on some extra batteries, uh, you know, because uh, you want to have power for for uh, radios or whatnot. Um, and it's not a bad idea to have some extra things like uh, like bread and peanut butter and whatnot, you know, food that doesn't have to have a lot of preparation. And uh, hopefully we won't lose all of our electricity. I mean, I, I'm I, my plans are basically to. To sit back and finish my my manuscript um, and get it posted up on Amazon Kindle, that being On the Jewish Question, Karl Marx, Anti-Semitism, and the War on the West. I'm looking forward to doing that, getting that done, and getting it up there. So have a relaxing weekend. Stay in, stay warm, stay safe. Uh, You know, make sure you know who... Where everyone is that you your you know all of your loved ones and your family members and friends and neighbors um because it really could be a major storm i, I don't know if it will or not who knows maybe a dud maybe there'll be nothing I don't know we'll see but uh indications are that it's gonna be a pretty big one. Let me just take a quick peek is there a tra- is there a uh governor has banned travel? Offenders face fines. New York City, Boston radar. Here we go. Let me take a look at the radar. Um, if you're in Boston like I am, it's just the, – yeah, the radar looks like it's just off of the uh, the southern coast of Long Island at this point, And moving west, to, um, moving east, I should say, to, uh, to the coast of Rhode Island, where it should come up. And head for us here in Boston. Anyway, thank you for listening, everyone. This is Chuck Morse, Chuck Morse Speaks. Check out my blog site, Chuck Morse Speaks at blog, blogspot.com, where you can order my Amazon Kindles, uh, The Fabians, Republicans in the Age of Obama, and The Monkey Trial, Evolutionary Politics in the Post Traditional Age. I shall return tomorrow at the new time, which is 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Chuck Moore speaks. Have a good afternoon, everybody.